Welcome to the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast, where we highlight nonprofit innovators, leaders, and influencers every week that are changing the sector for the better. I'm your host, Delaney Molinix, Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. If you're not for profit and all for purpose, you're in the right place. You see, we know you're already doing good, but we've designed this podcast to help nonprofit professionals find growth, joy, and connection. So tune in weekly for new episodes to elevate your cause, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you. We'd like to thank Act Blue for sponsoring today's episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. Act Blue Charities offers cutting-edge fundraising tools so you can harness the power of grassroots online fundraising. Act Blue Charities tools are available at no cost, and their team of fundraising experts is always there to help. Learn more about Act Blue Charities' easy-to-use platform at actblue.com/abcharities. That's actblue.com/abcharities. Hello everyone, this is Delaney, Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. I had the pleasure of meeting with Mandy Anderson, the founder of Lake Effect Kitchen in West Michigan. The kitchen hires and trains employees with disabilities to maintain jobs, and when this kitchen started, um, it expanded into an entire organization called Eat Well, Do Good, which is the first local non-government agency in Michigan area to work with businesses to offer grants and funding for paid employees with disabilities. Nonprofits are all about building inclusive communities and equitable work, but when we talk about growing as a community, we have to include all members of that community regardless of ability and recognize that all are stakeholders and bring something to the table. Having an inclusive and flexible mindset is applicable to all nonprofit organizations and being rigid in who you think about as your audience and your potential employees not only limits your own organization's potential, but the potential of everyone in your community. So keep listening to hear Mandy share more about how you can make sure everyone finds a place to belong and bring value to your nonprofit workforce. I live in Grand Haven. I'm originally from Detroit and I have, um, I've been married for 26 years and I have five sons, one of whom has autism, um, which was kind of the um, impetus for starting on this whole journey of inclusive employment. I had no idea that you had, um, first of all, that many children. That's incredible. <laughs> also one with autism. So um, I actually worked in my undergrad is in social work and my master's is in public administration. But for five years, I worked at a neuropsychological facility. And, and that is what we specialized in was psychological assessments for autism spectrum disorders and treatment. Um, so we did outpatient therapy. We did testing. We did ABA, um, okay. all of that stuff. So I'm, I actually have quite a, a large background of, of like working in that space. So that's okay. Jaden is 20. He's 20 years old now. So we've been down those um, paths of all the assessments uh, and all of those things um, for many, many years. Wow. And how's he doing? Um, he is doing great. He is, I always tell people he is a good time. He loves to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, he's gregarious and outgoing. Um, he graduated from Grand Haven High School two years ago. And is currently attending the Young Adult Services Program in Grand Haven. And he's going to start working um, at a job, a jobs program through the school pretty soon here at a local coffee shop. That's amazing. Nonetheless, by the care and support that you've provided him, I'm sure, and your passion. Yeah, he's a good kid, so he makes it easy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Okay, so continue your story. You you had this child and that's kind of something that started your passion behind this. 
Yes. So um, when Jane was diagnosed with autism, there was a lot of kind of, oh, what do we do now? Um, how can we make it so that this child can fit into the world and, and succeed in the world? Um, how do we mold him to the world? And then as he got older, um, it, the focus kind of changed to how do we mold the world to meet the needs of him and his peers that have autism and other disabilities that are wanting to be employed, wanting to be living independently. Um, they are already a part of the community. How can we make the community more inclusive and available to meet their needs rather than sort of squishing them into, into fitting in? How do we expand the community to welcome them in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how did you go about doing that? What has kind of resulted in, in this passion and your desire to, to shape the community? Um, I know that your organization is called Eat Well, Do Good. Yes. So um, for a number of years, I served on the board of Autism Support of West Shore, which is an advocacy organization. And for the time being, when our kids were little, we were focusing on play groups and meet and greets and um, parent support groups and that sort of thing. And as Jaden and um, his peers got older, we were looking at what's next. Um, people who are in high school and post high school have jobs and what was available for them um, was significantly lacking. There weren't a lot of um, opportunities and sort of after they exit high school and after they exit the school system at 26, even there weren't a lot of opportunities available for real authentic job training and the ability to earn a living, mm-hmm. which Everyone needs to be able to earn a living, not just for the fact that you have to pay your way, you have to pay for bills, but also the dignity of work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Work is where a lot of people get their identity and meet their friends and have that sort of social input in their lives. So when I was starting to look at what could be next for Jaden and what kind of employment he might have, a co-board member, um, Aaron Johnson and I were looking at this um, together. Aaron is a chef and I cook um, because I enjoy it. I volunteer to cook for large groups of people on a regular basis. So um, we started putting together a business plan and opened a catering and meal prep company called Lake Effect Kitchen. We've been in Grand Haven for five years now and we employ people with autism and all sorts of disabilities, primarily intellectual disabilities, um, some physical disabilities. We did have one um, person who was on a trial basis, like an internship with us who was blind. And um, so that was a real, a real big learning curve for us, but she, she did a great job. She came in and she wanted to learn some cooking techniques. And so we all had to take some time and, and learn how do you how do you work with a student who is blind? And she taught us all kinds of all kinds of good tips and tricks with that. Uh-huh. And she had some really cool tools that came along with her, like a scale, a food scale that um, speaks instead of having to read it. It will it will just tell you the weight. So that was a, a fun experience for everyone. So yeah. we wanted to be able to expand the job opportunities available to people with disabilities in this community and help them to be able to achieve their own goals. In doing that. Um, a food business is not always a high profit margin business for sure. And then with COVID and everything, it got even, even a little bit slimmer profit margin. And we want to be able to really do a good job for our employees and give them the mentoring and the support that they need. Mm-hmm. So um, we opened a nonprofit sister company called Eat Well, Do Good. 
that had been our hashtag um, kind of slogan for Lake Effect Kitchen for a couple of years. So when we were looking for the right name, it just seemed like the right fit um, to go along with Lake Effect Kitchen and started raising some money through that to be able to expand the job opportunities that we're able to offer here at Lake Effect and also to be able to, in the future, support other businesses who want to um, take the risk of hiring somebody with a disability that they might not quite know how to support that employee, but they're willing to give it a try and we can give them some help in in supporting them and encouraging them to try to provide jobs and natural supports to this emerging workforce. Yeah, absolutely. So the, this is the whole story is coming together now. So now I understand why it's it's about food as well, right? And like what a yes. beautiful relationship. But um okay, so I want to go back to what you said. You mentioned something about hiring from this community can can come with risks. And then you mentioned um supports that are needed for this population. Can you speak a little bit more to what you what you meant by risks and then what are the supports um that organizations that that do want to have these inclusive communities and inclusive workforces and provide this work to this population, what are some of the supports that they're looking at? Sure. I spend a lot of time around people that have autism and intellectual disabilities and things. So I sometimes forget that the average person out in the community might not understand how to how to speak to someone or how to really, it took me a while to learn to slow down. And I think that's beneficial in my own life too. But when speaking to somebody, not that you have to speak to them um, in in a demeaning way, of course, but just the processing speed of their brain might be a little bit different. And you might need to give them a full 30 seconds, 45 seconds to process what you've said and answer you. And to the rest of us, that can feel like a really long time. It can feel like they're not listening. It can feel like maybe they don't care to interact with you. Mm -hmm. Um, The eye contact thing is a big learning curve for people. They feel like it's disrespectful when someone doesn't look at them. But eye contact is difficult for many people. And it doesn't mean they don't like you or they're not listening or anything like that. It's just they can focus better on what you're saying if they're not having to look at all the things that are going on on your face. Yeah. So helping um, people to understand those things um, and to know that these employees want to work, they need to work to afford to live in independent living sort of housing situations to meet their own financial and personal goals in life. So we um, we want to educate people that not only are they good employees, but there are some pretty easy supports a lot of times that can really help bring success um, rather than the frustration of, oh my gosh, this person is going to need so much help. There's sometimes just a couple real small things that you can do that would make it easier. Um, checklists and visual, um, visual schedules, um, things like that, and all sorts of other just easy supports that we can, we can help bring success. And then we are in a hiring crisis. A lot of businesses can't find employees. And we have this whole pool of workers that are looking for jobs and and hoping for opportunities. And we're hoping to be able to help bring them together. If we think about it, um, there are terminology like adaptive equipment that sounds so technical and all of that stuff. And I always, I always like to say, you know, I am only five feet tall. 
So I have a stepladder on every floor of my house. <laughs> That's adaptive equipment. Because that is my adaptive equipment. I can't reach anything without my stepladder, right? I also tend to wear tall shoes. Um, so we all use adaptive equipment in some way. I wear contact lenses. It's adaptive yeah. equipment. Yeah. So when we stop making it like such a big deal, we all use adaptive equipment. We all adapt things to our strengths and our weaknesses. And it's just learning a, maybe a different set of tools to use for people who might think a little bit differently or work a little bit differently yeah. and understand that they can bring, they can bring all sorts of um, good things to the workforce. And it isn't about, you know, inspirational and all of that kind of stuff. It's, this is not a stigmatizing type of a thing. This is, these are adults who want and need to work and want to be a part of the community and they deserve to be a part of the community. They can bring, um, they can bring benefit to the bottom line of a, a for-profit business, which we um, have been working to show. Yeah. There are so many stories in, and maybe we can continue talking about this, but there's so many stories of how some companies, their most valuable employee was, was an individual on the spectrum and how like incredible, the incredible things that they were able to offer to, to companies because of their skill sets. Um, and I also think it's interesting that I think for a long time when when companies thought about making an effort to to, to diversify and bring in um, people with different abilities, sometimes it's like you have this limited understanding, like you only think of physical disabilities sometimes. Um, but then you like you talk about someone on the on the autism spectrum and it's really just social difference um in how that can be, I mean, like you talk about adaptive equipment, but when you're trying to relearn like social, social interaction, that can be even a little bit more challenging. So that's why it's so important that like organizations like, like you exist to, to, um, to educate people. Yes. Um, and what we're going for is, is an authentically inclusive workforce. So um, a, a good mix of disabled and non-disabled people working together as peers Um not really sort of like a large group of just disabled individuals yes. moving around um, doing a job, but just this sort of natural integration mm-hmm. um, where there people with disabilities are something like 20% of the population in Michigan. And wow. so it would reflect that there's, they should be about 20% of the workforce in any given business at any time. Um, so that's what we're sort of trying to open people's minds and show them that they are good workers. They are um, able to to work. Sometimes they might need a little bit more support, um, but we all need different amounts of support at different times in our lives. And some of the money that we raise is going toward um, having those mentors, sort of a job coach that can help them um, and sort of fade the supports as they don't need them anymore, but push in and, and give the higher level of support when they are struggling or do need that extra support. Hi, this is Kevin Burgess, the editor of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. Your organization's mission is essential, which means your fundraising program is too. No one understands that better than Axe Blue Charities. Axe Blue Charities offers cutting-edge fundraising tools so you can harness the power of grassroots online fundraising. Their easy-to-use platform allows you to create donation forms you can send in an email or share on social media. That means when your mission resonates, your supporters can give in just a few clicks. You also have access to an intuitive dashboard that makes interpreting and downloading your contribution data easy. 
you can strengthen your recurring program, run simple A-B tests, and build a more informed relationship with your supporters. ActBlue Charities tools are available at no cost, and their team of fundraising experts is always there to help. So head over to actblue.com slash abcharities to get set up. That's actblue.com slash abcharities. One more time, actblue.com slash abcharities. Now let's get back to Delaney and the rest of her conversation with Mandy Anderson. We're talking about um, an authentically inclusive workforce. I want to know, is there, so your organization is the first local non-government agency in your area to supply grants and other support to help with paid employees with disabilities. Are there any other organizations that you know of that are, are doing this kind of work? Because we, we work with nonprofit professionals across the country. So I want to make sure that if other organizations are, are looking into doing something like this, are there other places that they can go? Mostly it would be governmental organizations like the Community Mental Health and Michigan Rehab Services um, that serves Michigan. I don't, I'm sure that other uh, states have similar organizations like right. that. But I don't know of any other non-governmental organizations that would fund other businesses. There are certainly businesses that are nonprofits themselves. Lake Effect Kitchen is not a nonprofit, but Eat Well, Do Good is. So there are certainly businesses that are nonprofits themselves that predominantly hire people with disabilities more in an enclave setting, which is say one job coach to four, six, eight employees with a disability working together um, in more of a, a specialized environment. Yeah. Rather than um, more of a community integrated environment, which is kind of what we're going for. That's incredible. I love that idea of of having a nonprofit that that gets grants and funding to to offer something like that, like a supervisor for um, just to help get those people started in a, in a um, workplace. Um, in Michigan, it is still legal to pay someone a, a sub minimum wage if they have a disability. Oh, um, yeah. So you can apply and and for a waiver and say that the person is able to do a certain percentage of a typical amount of work. So say 60 percent of what a typical employee could do. And then you can pay them 60 percent of the minimum wage. And the government says that's fine or whatever. We don't believe that that's ethical. So we do not. Um, support that sort of practice. What we do understand, though, running um, a food business like Effect Kitchen is that there's a bottom line and think labor is a big cost. And when you need to employ um, some extra support for some employees, that is that does hit the bottom line. And we want to be able to support people so that they don't see that, oh, well, if I hire these people, they're not going to be able to do 100% of the work, but I have to pay them 100% of the wages. And then it doesn't necessarily work for their bottom line. But if we can help support them financially and with some training to show that it is worth it to invest in people and we can make up that extra difference so that they can be making an appropriate competitive wage, then it, it turns into a positive for both the business and for the employees who are able to earn some money to, to pay their their rent and all the things that the rest of us have to pay for that dignity and being able to support themselves and earn earn a competitive wage like their non-disabled peers. What do you, as an intentional educator, um, how can nonprofits, you you mentioned something about um, 
in your in your bio that you sent to us, shifting from a rigid mindset to a flexible mindset. As best you can, what would you say to nonprofit listeners right now to help them maybe shift um, a mindset when they're hiring? So we all have kind of an idea in our head about how things should be done, right? This is these are the right steps to get to to get to the right result, and sometimes, a lot of times things can be done in a different way. There are a few things that have to be done certain ways. Health and safety regulations obviously have to be followed. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of those things, you can get to a destination by a whole bunch of different paths. And to be willing to see that someone might have a different process, but still get the result that you need, and that's okay to let them do that, or to carve out certain pieces of a job that maybe I used to do all 10 of these, but Maybe one person is really good at two of them, and I don't really like doing those two things. Let's give them just that portion of the job and let them really do a good job with that so that I can focus on the things that I'm really good at and not the things that sort of make me not as efficient as I could be. Yeah. So um, to just be flexible in whose responsibility is it to do X, Y, or Z and how exactly the process can go. If it's still getting done, if I like to do certain things in a certain order and it still gets done by the end of the day, that's fine. If I like to always eat lunch at 11 a.m., it's not really the biggest deal, right? So let them have their lunch break at 11 and they'll be more productive in the afternoon. Um, A lot of things can be done at flexible times of the day. They don't always have to be done at a certain time of the day. Yeah. I was actually thinking about something um, along the same exact topic. (laughs) I want to say it was like last night. I had my mind like spins before bed, but I was thinking about policies and how sometimes I think people, even employees and managers, like within an organization will look at a policy and it will become like the law of reality almost like this is how it has to be done where in in actual reality something outside of that policy is still possible um and i think that almost our minds have like these policies like you said like Mm -hmm. this rigid mindset about how things are done well and the pandemic really showed us that a lot of things can be done differently that we didn't think could and people can still work remotely and still be productive and all of those things a lot of things like zoom and texting that originated as adaptive devices for people with disabilities have become mainstream and we all like using them. It makes us more efficient in many ways. And so there are, there are things to learn on both sides and how to be flexible and more efficient with our time. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been a great interview. Um, we are going to wrap it up really quick. Um, Thank you for everything that you're doing um, in your community and for educating everyone on such an important topic. Thanks for joining us for this Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast episode. For more resources on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out the number one nonprofit toolbox at nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. 